We'll read 1 Kings chapter 20, beginning in verse 1, and we'll read through verse 21. 1 Kings chapter 20, verse 1. This is God's word, eternally true. Now Ben-Hadad, king of Aram, mustered his entire army, accompanied by 32 kings with their horses and chariots. He went up and besieged Samaria and attacked it. He sent messengers into the city to Ahab, king of Israel, saying, This is what Ben-Hadad says, Your silver and gold are mine, and the best of your wives and children are mine. The king of Israel answered, Just as you say, my lord, the king, I and all I have are yours. The messengers came again and said, This is what Ben-Hadad says, I sent to demand your silver and gold, your wives and your children, but about this time tomorrow, I am going to send my officials to search your palace and the houses of your officials. They will seize everything you value and carry it away. The king of Israel summoned all the elders of the land and said to them, see how this man is looking for trouble. When he sent for my wives and my children, my silver and my gold, I did not refuse him. The elders and the people all answered, don't listen to him or agree to his demands. So he replied to Ben-Hadad's messengers, Tell my lord the king, your servant will do all you demanded the first time, but this demand I cannot meet. They left and took the answer back to Ben-Hadad. Then Ben-Hadad sent another message to Ahab. May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if enough dust remains in Samaria to give each of my men a handful. The king of Israel answered, Tell him, one who puts on his armor should not boast like one who takes it off. Ben-Hadad heard this message while he and the kings were drinking in their tents, and he ordered his men, prepare to attack. So they prepared to attack the city. Meanwhile, a prophet came to Ahab, king of Israel, and announced, this is what the Lord says. Do you see this vast army? I will give it into your hand today. And then you will know that I am the Lord. But who will do this? asked Ahab. The prophet replied, This is what the Lord says. The young officers of the provincial commanders will do it. And who will start the battle? he asked. The prophet answered, You will. So Ahab summoned the young officers of the provincial commanders, 232 men. Then he assembled the rest of the Israelites, 7,000 in all. They set out at noon while Ben-Hadad and the 32 kings allied with him were in their tents getting drunk. The young officers of the provincial commanders went out first. Now, Ben-Hadad had dispatched scouts who reported men are advancing from Samaria. He said, if they have come out for peace, take them alive. If they have come out for war, take them alive. The young officers of the provincial commanders marched out of the city with the army behind them, and each one struck down his opponent. At that, the Arameans fled with the Israelites in pursuit. But Ben-Hadad, king of Aram, escaped on horseback with some of his horsemen. The king of Israel and uh, the, the king of Israel advanced and overpowered the horses and chariots and inflicted heavy losses on the Aramaeans. Here ends our reading. Uh, you have a response of thankfulness that's printed for you in your bulletin. The word of the Lord.
Thanks indeed. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we are thankful to you for this, your word. We pray that you had preached to us from it, Jesus, and that you would teach us of yourself, uh, show us your greatness as our king, uh, the forgiveness, the love, the care that we have from you, our God above. We uh, pray that you would uh, enable us to see ourselves better, uh, to see you better, to love you and to trust in you. And uh, we pray that you would work by your spirit within us and among us to give us understanding. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. When I was in fourth or fifth grade, I think it was fifth grade, uh, I was over at my best friend's house, David Morris's house on Van Cortland Drive in Pittsburgh, New York. And uh, David was kind of up on a hill. Um, the, the, the Van Cortland Drive went up like this. And, and uh, just one house next to him, uh, just down, was a guy named Sean Rogers. And Sean was a senior in high school. We had known Sean. I became friends with David in third grade, and this was fifth grade now. So I'd known him about three years. And, and Sean was great, even though he was so much older than us. He'd come out and play with us, play football and that kind of thing. We didn't want to get tackled by him. Uh, <laughs> but he was gentle with us as he'd kind of slam us down and then prevent us from getting totally crushed. Uh, in that, but uh, I remember one time we um, uh, sometimes I'd ride my bike over to David's house, and and sometimes my mom would drive me over there. And this time, this particular time, my mom had driven me over there, and we wanted to go somewhere else in this massive subdivision, Charter Oaks. I don't know if you remember that, Anna. It was right next to Menden High School, and uh, so we were going uh, somewhere else in the neighborhood to some other friend's house. But I didn't have a bike, and David had a bike because it was his house. Sean had a bike and it was his house, and, and, uh, but I didn't. And so Sean said, well, you can ride on my bike. Now, Sean had a 10-speed, which at the time, in 1977 or 78, was huge and the thing. You know, it was one of those standard 10-speeds for those few or older with the, you know, the, the ram's horn curve, you know, uh, 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 handlebars down there. And uh, it was so tall compared to what I was. And uh, I remember... Um, Sean saying to me, okay, John, just get up on the seat. Now, at the time, you didn't have cushy seats like you have today. You had these hard metal seats covered with vinyl. And uh, so I got on this hard, thin uh, metal seat covered with black vinyl. And, um, and he said, now, he said, you sit on the seat, I'll stand up, and just take your hands and hold the seat behind you. Just hold on to that. And he said, and keep your feet out of the spokes. <laughs> so just hold your feet out like this because you don't want to get tied in there. And uh, I remember David looking at me, my friend looking at me, and he said, hold on. <laughs> and he said, Sean goes really fast. And, and uh, so, like I said, we we're at this hill and, and I forget the name of the street that went out from David's house in, in another direction, but it went downhill and we immediately started. And, and it was... Um, it was fast and it was scary. I don't get scared by much, uh, but that was about the most scared I ever was as a kid when I was on that when I was on that bike. And he was he was going he was taking turns as if there was no kid on his bike. I mean, the bike was going whoop like <laughs> like that. Uh, but even though David said this is going to be scary, um, I had confidence I'd be okay as long as I did what Sean said I needed to do. Because Sean could have crushed me many times in, in football or whatever games we were playing. 
uh, around the neighborhood for two and a half years, uh, but he hadn't. I know Sean cared for me and, and uh, considered me a friend, even though I was a, a little guy. And so I thought he's not gonna do something that's gonna mean my, my death. And so I just simply hung on to that, to that seat. And as you see, I survived there. No helmet. <laughs> there, but I had I had confidence because of uh, uh, of Sean's um, Sean's care for me, uh, even though the situation I was going to had lots of risk and uh, lots of uh, things to make me afraid. It did not feel good on that bike, and I was off balance and hanging on and that kind of thing, and and it was just asphalt that we were on, uh, no helmet, but. As Ahab, <laughs> as Ahab looks, we all survived, didn't we? Um, as Ahab gets in this situation here, um, we see a lot of reason for fear. Um, not only is Ben Hadad uh, king of Aram, um, this is the, the the king. Now, whether Ahab knows this yet or not, we don't know. But if you look just above here. Ben-Hadad's son was the one that, that God was going to use to crush Israel. And Elijah, so you can look there, you can see that there in, in um, uh, like verses 15 through 18 of chapter 19 there, look down there. Uh, and so, but, but Elisha hadn't, or Elisha hadn't got, gotten up there, or Elijah, ha, Elijah hadn't gotten up there yet to anoint the son as king. And so his father, Ben-Hadad, is still, still reigning there. Um, uh, he's a powerful man, but he also has 32 kings with him and their armies and their horses and their chariots. And one thing to understand is that in, in ancient times, army strength was measured by the number of chariots they had. This, this uh, was an indicator of their wealth and their power. Uh, if you had horses, uh, and, and that was a thing, but then if you had some of those horses connected to a chariot, uh, that was a thing too, because you could really go fast and really do lots of damage if you were in a chariot in battle. So this is a massive, or as it says here, a vast army, and Ahab has lots of lots of fear. Yet this is a passage that God gives to us about confidence that we have in the Lord. Um, if you'd like to fill up blanks in an outline, we uh, start here. Um, and we can uh, see this from this passage, this. As human beings, we're born into loss. In this passage, as we go down through it, verses 1 through 21, we realize that, that as human beings, we're like Ahab, and we're like Ahab's people. Now, uh, again, Ahab is the king in the north over the ten northern tribes, and their capital city was Samaria. And so Ahab is there in Samaria in the capital city, and it's being besieged by the Arameans, which are Syrians today, not Assyrians, but Syrians today. It's the city of Damascus, okay? And so um, uh, they're being attacked. This, this huge army has come down, um, and the people immediately lose much, don't they? Look at verses 1 through 4. Now, it's not a question that God is answering whether they should have liked, you know, if you, you can look at this humorously and say the people kind of cared about losing everything they valued, that was second wave, you know, when the officials are going to come in and search and take away everything they value. They just readily give away their wives and children, <laughs> their gold and silver, 
and such was the morality of Ahab and the people, perhaps. But that's not really the, the question or the thing God is having us focus here as we look down this passage. But but massive loss. They've lost, and it's and it's not just, um, it's not all of the kids, it's not all of the wives, it's the best of the wives and the best of the kids. Um, and so they've had massive losses already. You see that in verse 4. Ahab says in his response to the second request, when you asked for these things, I, I didn't object. I just gave my consent. You have these things, you have these things already. So these people have, have stepped into soon massive loss. Um, this is what we see for each of us as human beings. As we look at Genesis 3, we see that we are born into, as a human being, you have been born into massive loss. You've already lost, by the time you're born, uh, what God had intended in his first good intent for human beings. Uh, we see this in the Garden of Eden, uh, where uh, you know God says that you know the day you eat of it, you'll surely die. And, and certainly Adam does die eventually, physically. Um, he dies, we, we term it this way, spiritually that day. Uh, we know from Paul that, he is, uh, that we are now born with uh, sin nature, uh, a proclivity, a, 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 a preference to do sin, and that's how we're born. You know, so when, when uh, David writes and, and says, you know, in sin my mother conceived me, you know, we're born with this sin nature and this uh, natural inclination not to please God and therefore not to be blessed by him. Um, we're born into massive loss. Um, Ephesians 2, 1, 5, 5 talk about this as well. We're born into this curse. Uh, Ephesians 2, 1, uh, Paul says for everybody that they were born in deadness, spiritual deadness, dead in sin, dead in, in, in transgressions. And so we're born having lost spiritual life from the get-go. It was lost back with Adam. Romans 5.12, Paul tells us that. So we're not even born with spiritual life and then we lose it. We're born without spiritual life from the get-go. This is why Nicodemus is confused in John 3. He says, well, we, we know you're a teacher from God, but... How, how, how is this? And, and Jesus says, unless you're born again, unless you're given spiritual life, which you weren't born with, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. So, of course, this stuff is not making sense to you. You need to be blown upon, so to speak, figurative, not literal, uh, hit in our Sunday school discussion. You need to be blown upon by the Holy Spirit to give you spiritual life which you lost in Adam before you were ever born. And so we see a, a shadow of this, a picture of this in this text in 1 Kings, that we're born into loss. We're like these people who have already lost our gold and our silver. And um, if we had a good wife, we lost her. If we had a bad wife, she's still around. And I guess that's a curse. I don't know. <laughs> and we're left with our stinky kids and, and the good kids have been taken away from us okay so uh but uh so to, to map this out a little bit uh for us um 
We're born without, as the New Testament talks about, we're born without a, an inheritance in heaven. That's not something we own or look forward to in our, our physical birth. Born without that. Um, born without an inheritance. We've lost that. Um, so A there in your outline, uh, to write a couple of things here. You were born in, in a state, you were born in a state of having lost your spiritual life through Adam's sin. Okay, so Genesis 2.17, on the day you, you uh, eat of it, you'll surely die. Uh, so death comes into the world, uh, Paul, write, Paul writes about. Um, and, and so Ephesians 2.1, you were dead in your transgressions and sins uh, as you were born. And then B, you're also born in a state of having lost your inheritance, again, through Adam's sin, which you own, Adam's sin. Uh, Romans 5.12, it says, in Adam, we all sinned. Uh, it's just like having your father's last name. If you have your father's last name, you just, you have that because that's his last name. We have Adam's sin. That's, that's credited to us. Um, we, we own that, but also we've continued in it. You know, if someone has objection to the fact that they're guilty at birth and, and they bear the guilt of Adam, if they have objection to that, we just say, oh, okay, you're wrong, but also have you sinned? And they say, well, yeah, if they're being honest. So either way, but both, it's really both. So we're born in this state of great loss, no spiritual life and no eternal inheritance. Now, number two, in our lives, as we go down the passage here, in our lives, the threat of further loss sits before us. The threat of further loss sits before us. We see this in this passage here, again, modeled for us or as a shadow for us of the reality of what's true of each of our lives. Um, they've lost already a lot, the gold or silver, the best of their wives and their kids. But now uh, the king of Aram is going to come in and he's going to search their houses and take everything of value to them. So their Game Boys or whatever they value there. And he's going to find it and take it away from them. So there's a threat of further loss. And that's the, that's the present kind of of this, of this passage, kind of the present center of this passage. Um, so that's verses four through seven. Um, they'd already lost gold, silver, best of their wives and children. Um, and now the threat of the seizure of everything they value. Um, and then in verse 18, look at verse 18, kind of a, a unexpected uh, phrase there. Uh, in verse 18, um, the, uh, ben Haddad uh, says, if they have come out for peace, take them alive. Now, what do we expect it to say next? If they've come out for war, kill them. But he doesn't say that. He says, if they've come out for war, take them alive. Uh, ben Haddad's intent for them is exile, captivity, slavery. Perhaps that's worse. We don't know. Depends on your the soul, the state of your soul. Uh, but this is this is what stands before them. Now think about this, if you can. If you're reading First Kings and you're sitting in exile, that's what's happened to you. You you were taken alive, literally. You were taken alive um, by if you were an Israelite, you were taken alive by the king of Assyria. Second Kings chapter 17. Second Kings, right, Bob. And, and if you were a, a, a Judahite in exile, you were taken by the king of Babylon um, 120 years later, Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, 
But either way, you were taken alive. Uh, and so this is the threat. You know, they had experienced this. The threat of uh, uh, further loss had come upon them. Um, so they were, you know, disenfranchised in the real meaning of the, the word there. Everything that was of value to them was, was taken away. They had further loss. Um, in life, destruction of a person's life and circumstances comes from his or her sins. You know that in your own lives. Uh, a lot of the bad things that have come to you have come to you from your own wrongdoing. Um, this is why the Israelites were exiled. So Bob read for us this morning. Why did God thrust him from his presence, from the promised land? It was because of their sins. Um, they were disinherited um, because of their sins. Galatians 6, 7, Paul writes in this language, uh, a man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature from that nature will reap destruction. That's what had happened to these people. That's what happened to those who are reading first and second Kings. They had sown to their sin nature. All those things we read about God's people in the north in second in second Kings 17. And then all the things that were that the people had sown in the south in the, in Judah in Second uh, Kings 24 and 25, they had reaped destruction. A person can be um, not only, as these people, captives in a foreign land, but Paul and the writers of the New Testament and Jesus says, that's just a shadow of what I was talking about with your soul. You can be a captive to sin. You can be a slave of sin. Jesus talks about that. He who does sin is a slave of sin, Jesus says. Uh, Paul has uh, chapters in Romans about being a slave to sin. And, and that's, that's what we're born into. Um, that's what a person has prior to faith in Christ. This further threat. If I continue to be the non-believer today, says if I continue to be uh, uh, um, walking in my sins, there's further threat to me. My slavery to sin will be a reaping of destruction to my own life now and in eternity. Um, we harm our lives by our sin, but in the end, there's eternal destruction. That's a threat for each person because of his or, or her sins, whether they've grown up in a church or grown up outside of a church. Um, Paul gets at this as he's chiding the, the Jewish Christians in Rome um, who thought they were better than the Gentile Christians in Rome. And he says this in Revelation, or sorry, in Romans 2.12, 2, all who sin apart from the law will also, a perish, will also perish apart from the law. And all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. Either way, you're all sinning, whether your background is Jewish or Gentile, and whether you are a person who grew up in the church but don't have saving faith, or whether you're a person who grew up outside the church and don't have saving faith, you'll meet destruction in the end apart from faith in Jesus. So when Jesus returns, there's that threat we read from 2 Thessalonians 1.7 that says this, 
When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels, he will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord. Hear the promised land in there. The exiles were shut out. They were thrust from God's presence. The Old Testament promised land was, was a picture of the kingdom of God where God was. A picture of today, heaven and being thrust out from heaven at death. Or when Jesus comes back, it's a picture of, of the lake of fire and being thrust out into the lake of fire and not allowed into the new heavens and the new earth. So there's threat, further threat for a person today, apart from faith, to, faith in Jesus, further threat of what his sins or her sins will bring to his or her life. That's a threat, further loss. Or at the end, when the person dies or when Jesus comes back, there's further loss threatened there too. It's just sitting there before them of hell and the lake of fire. Yes, this great? Now, number three. Though we arrive into the world in loss, having arriving with no spiritual inheritance, arriving with no spiritual life and understanding, though we arrive into the world, born into the world in loss, and though the threat of more loss um, sits before us, there's reason for hope. There's reason for hope. And that's what we see as we work down the passage here, verses 8 through 11. Now, um, Ahab has some reason, we don't know why, but he has some reason that he for hope here. He, he, he stands up to Ben-Hadad and these 32 kings and the horses and chariots, this huge army, and he says, you know, I gave you what you asked for first, but no more. For some reason, he has hope. Um, and there is reason for hope as well. Um, doesn't seem wise for Ahab to resist here. Um, doesn't seem wise for him to rebuke Ben-Hadad. You like that little rebuke there? Yeah. The, 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 the one who is put, putting on his armor should not boast like the one who's taking it off. In other words, boast after you've won the battle, not before you go into it. By the way, if you're in sports, if you want to lose, boast about how you're going to win the game. You will lose. It just happens. If you're a better and don't bet, if you see a team being boastful about how they're going to beat another team, bet against them. They will lose. <laughs> Please don't bet. Uh, that's awful. That's awful stuff. It really is. It, it, it's a terrible thing. Um, you ripped a lot of lives and families apart. Uh, but um, Ahab has some kind of hope. Or else he would have just surrendered and saved his life. So A, there. It's a hope uh, for relief um, for us uh, that we have. A hope for relief from the threat of eternal loss. And a threat... Uh, of loss of uh, our eternal inheritance. The threat of eternal loss and to eternal inheritance now and forever. Uh, Matthew 25, 34, then the king will say, that's Jesus, will say to those on his, on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom, 
prepared for you since the creation of the world. What does Jesus say is our inheritance as believers in him? The kingdom. Now, inheritance is the language of promised land. If you were one of these people under King Ahab, you had an inheritance. That's a very technical term in the Old Testament. And it was an inheritance given to your forefather by Joshua. You had a plot of land and that was your inheritance. And what is being threatened in the future of these people in this passage is their inheritance is being taken away. Being taken by the Assyrians. Um, what the Assyrians do in the end for Second, second uh, Kings 17 is they repopulate northern Israel with foreigners from other places. And, and the Israelites, their inheritance are, are lost to them. Um, but Jesus says, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you uh, since the creation of the world. So God planned this for you. That's the good news. Um, he planned this inheritance for you. Um, and that's our hope. That's the gospel hope that's given to us an eternal inheritance that God planned for us. You know, Ephesians 1, 4, before the creation of the world. Uh, he predestined us to this. Or as Jesus puts here, he prepared for you um, since the creation of the world. Uh, or 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5, Peter writes this. God in his great mercy has given us new birth into a living hope. Okay, Ahab has this hope that he's going to be okay, that he's going to be able to keep his inheritance instead of lose it. Peter says, in his great mercy, God has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the, Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance. Again, Peter, a Jew who knew when he used the term inheritance was talking about a plot of land in Israel. But now understanding that this plot of land in Israel was just a shadow of this inheritance that Jesus promised to his followers, an inheritance being the kingdom for them into an inheritance that can never perish. It's not lost in front of us. It's not taken away your inheritance in heaven. Um, it can never perish, spoil, or fade. It's kept in heaven for you, who through faith in Jesus are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. So we have a hope that's relief from the threat of eternal loss on the one side and a hope that's looking forward to our eternal inheritance, the kingdom that Jesus has prepared for us, the sheep in that passage, Matthew 25, the inheritance that Jesus has prepared for us and in the new heavens and new earth, that will again be a plot of land somewhere. Um, but uh, so we have this bi-directional hope. Um, now B, B. Uh, next, um, we're hoping in uh, blessings for God uh, today and his blessing of eternal inheritance uh, in the future. Um, what are we hoping in to have this thing, to have his blessing today and to have eternal blessing or eternal inheritance in the future? What do we hope in? What do we hope in? Um, well, do not hope, and here's your B here, do not hope in your own ability and power to regain what you've lost. Um, Ahab doesn't. Um, he's not re 
you know, he's not, he gets this word from the, the prophet there. Look at verse 13. Meanwhile, a prophet, verse 13, meanwhile, a prophet came to Ahab, king of Israel, and announced, this is what the Lord says. Do you see this vast army? I, the Lord, will give it into your hand today. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Um, Ahab says, but, but who will do this? Ahab doesn't say, of course. I mean, look at me. Look how strong I am. Look how vast my army is. No, he's got, what, two, 232 men and 7,000? tell you, that's not as big as the 32 kings in their armies. Ahab's confidence is not in the size and strength of his own army. It's not in his ability. His ability, his confidence in his ability was shown off in the first request for gold and silver and the best of your wives and your kids. Ahab understands this. He's glad for this message, but he says, how will this happen? What, 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 what will go on here? Who will do this? Certainly not us. We don't have the power and the strength. And so Romans 5, 6, see, uh, Paul says to us, see, you see that at just the right time when we were still powerless, like Ahab, with our eternal inheritance not obtained prior, prior to faith, prior to faith in Jesus, with no spiritual life powerless to believe, no spiritual life, no spiritual sight to see the kingdom of God, no spiritual ears to, you know, as Jesus said, anyone who has ears, let them hear. And Jesus knew no one had ears. Even the disciples were saying, what did you mean when you said that? But Paul says, when we were powerless, Christ died for the ungodly, though we were dead in sin. So, so Paul recognizes this. He draws this out in Ephesians 2 and Philippians 3. You know, we see, we see this, that we are powerless prior to faith. Yet God gives us power, and that, that's what then gives us an inheritance. God initiates this. He brings his own power to play. It's not uh, Ahab being good. It's not Ahab having enough troops. So don't trust, don't hope in your own ability and power to regain, to get an in eternal inheritance uh, or to have spiritual life. You need it's spiritual life first and then faith second. Now see, see, hope instead in God's ability. Hope instead in God's ability, his power and his favor. And that's what we see in verse 13. What does the prophet say? See the action of this verb here. The prophet says, do you see this vast army? God says this. The Lord says, I will give it into your hand. That's the Lord's power. That's the Lord's ability. The Lord gives it into your hand. You as a believer, the Lord gave you faith into your hand. He gave you salvation into your hand. He fought this battle. He caused your 7,232 people to overcome the vast army that was much more uh, than this. Um, so uh, hope in God's power, uh, his ability, his favor. That's what Ahab is hoping in, not himself. So hope in God's ability, number one there, for your victory in life over sin. For your life and overcoming your enemy, the devil is trying to devour you. Um, God, by his spirit living in you, is your key to victory over Satan, 
to your, your key to victory over temptations and your key to victory over your sin nature. God's spirit in you is the key. That's what we hope in. We hope, you know, I won't be such a sinner next month as I am this month. And, and when we sin or we, we mishandle some relationship or, or are prideful or whatever we do that blows things up for us, we have hope in our future. Not a, hope, not a hope of worse loss to come like these folks until Ahab trusts in the Lord. Uh, but, but, but hope that God's power will come into play and will give us blessing where instead there was a, a, a forecast of, of, of greater, greater loss. Um, so as you look forward in your life, say, you know what? I will follow Christ better next month than I have this month because God's power, his spirit is within me. So Paul writes in Galatians 5, 16, so I say, live by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. That's the key. The spirit of God lives in you. The same spirit, Paul said, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you and he is powerful in you so that you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature within you. This gives you hope. Not because you've gotten better, not because you're thinking better, though you may be as you understand the scriptures better, but you understand the scriptures better because God's spirit's in you. But your hope is in God's spirit continually, uh, progressively working in you to make you strong against sin, to make you wise against sin, to make you able by his power to say no to ungodliness, as Paul says we're to say in Titus chapter 2. So um, we have hope for victory, not over the Aramaeans, but over our sinfulness, over Satan's temptations, over our sin nature, over our former slavery to sin, our former sin master, uh, of, a slave master of Satan, because the spirit of God is in us. Now, number two, we also have hope in God's ability, power and favor for our victory, for your victory over death for your victory over death. Uh, Jesus' hope as he hung on the cross, we saw as Bob read for us, his hope was in the Father. Jesus, if you want to divide, sometimes it's helpful for us to divide the full humanity of Jesus from the full divinity of Jesus. They're tied together. But Jesus speaks sometimes out of one nature, humanity, and sometimes out of the other nature, uh, 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 his divinity. And Jesus probably here speaking, we can... We can reason at least on the cross, um, dying physically, unable to overcome death physically. Um, he says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Um, and, and so he looks in his, in his humanity, um, as Ahab did here, king over God's people. There's an Ahab-Jesus connection. King over God's people. He looks for his eternal well-being, Jesus does, to his father. Dying breath, right? Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Um, Ahab, too, trusts in the Lord for his victory over death by the invading Aramaeans. He trusted that he would not die uh, physically uh, to the Aramaeans um, by trusting in the Lord. And we see his trust in the Lord 
he says, who will accomplish this? And, and, and uh, the prophet says, the young officers, the, the provincial commanders will do it. And we see Ahab just blowing our minds. I remember reading this last year and just saying, this is Ahab. And he's being faithful. So God says the young, the, the uh, young, the provincial commander, the young officers of the provincial commanders will do it. So what's Ahab do? He summons, verse 15, the young officers of the provincial commanders. He just trusts this stuff. The Lord's going to do it. So I need to gather these guys in. It's not a question or anything. He just, he does what the Lord says. The Lord said he's going to deliver us from you guys. So I've called you here. And then he sends them out. Um, and Ahab's in the battle too. You see at the end, he's, he's the one chasing um, and, and, and overcoming uh, there. So Ahab trusts in the Lord for his victory over death uh, by the invading Aramaeans. Um, Paul puts it this way for us, Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, while we were Ahab's, while we didn't deserve God to fight for us, because we were worshiping other things and serving other things and following our own sin natures. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And verse 9 of Romans 5, Romans 5, we will be saved from God's wrath through him. Paul writes in Romans 8, 11, and if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. So we look for our eternity, our eternal inheritance to Jesus and to his spirit being in us for victory over death, just like Ahab does here. It's the Lord who gives us victory in life over sin and the Lord, number one, and number two, the Lord who gives us victory over death, both by his spirit. In life by his spirit, victory over our sin nature. In death by his spirit, uh, victory over um, over our own death and even our physical death uh, eventually as Jesus comes back. Now, D, D, something to see here from Ahab that God teaches us from Ahab here. Hope includes action on your part. Hope includes action on your part. Now, Jesus informs us, now we're not talking about um, salvation by works here, but we are talking about a faith that works. So hear James in this, but see that in this passage here. Um, our first action is belief. That's your blank there. Our first action is belief and trust in God's promises. Here's what Jesus says is the work you're to do, the work that saves you. He says this, do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the son of man will give to you. On him, the God, God, the father has placed a seal of approval. Then they asked him, what must we do? What must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this. The work God wants you to do is this. Believe the one he has sent. Um, Ahab, we, we talk about sometimes in, as we're talking in, in Christianese here, that, that faith that saves is not just mere assent. Okay? Um, it's one thing for me to say, oh, I think if I get on that bike seat, I'll be okay. Okay, that's mere assent. That's faith without any action. If I believe I'll be okay and I need to get to that other friend's house, what do I do? 
I climb up on that seat and that bike was too big for me. So it was, you know, it was one of those climb ups to get up there and to, you know, I think somebody probably pushed my shoulder so I could get balanced on that seat. Real faith, real belief starts acting on the belief. And that's what we see with Ahab here. He believes, and so he gathers those provincial young commander officer people, whatever order of those words that is there, and then he sends them out. He believe, He really believes. He doesn't just let God take care of it, because God has said, okay, now think about your uh, confessing our faith today and providence if you were in Sunday school. How does God accomplish his decree? Through means typically through you doing what he just told you to do. And so God tells Ahab, I will accomplish this. I will give this army, this vast army into your hands through these young officers of the provincial commanders, whatever, um, there. And, and so Ahab gathers them. This is a faith that works. If it's true faith, it starts doing things thinking that this is really true. Ahab's not thinking, well, I'll send them out there, but they're going to get slaughtered. Ahab doesn't send them out there and run toward the Mediterranean uh, Sea. He sends them out there and follows right with them. And, and he says, you know, well, who will start the battle? And God says, you will. And so Ahab starts the battle. He sends them out. And, and, and Ben-Hadad has to get the scouting report that troops are coming out from the city of Samaria. Ahab believes and he acts on the belief. And so in salvation, Jesus says, believe in me. I am the king who saves my people. I am the faithful Ahab who responds to the father and follow my words and you will be saved. And so we, we put all our eggs in the one basket of Jesus. And, and, and we don't, say Jesus and this and Jesus and that or pick up several religions or or, or, or try to trust in Jesus and then uh, other things. Um, we just take action on that belief. So it's the old it's the old question. You know, if God says to you, you know, you die tonight, you know, God says to you, why should I let you into heaven? And we say, because I believed in Jesus. And, and, and if whomever says and we say, and nothing. And we don't say another word. And then we hear from Willy Wonka, my boy, you've won. It's Jesus and nothing else. But our action is in the nothing else. Our action is in self-control, restraint from trusting in any other thing to save us. And so if God says, believe in Jesus and be part of my people, that's what we do. We just, we just walk, walk in his ways. So next line there for you, our first action is belief and trust. God promises to protect you in life. He promises to protect you in life. So act like it. Don't fear. God will protect you. He's determined the number of your days and you cannot extend them. So just trust him. He'll protect you in the way he wants to protect you every day he has ordained for you. 
as Psalm 139, 16 says, you know, every day ordained for me was written in your book before one of them came to be. Right? Trust in this. You will be okay. You may die today. You may die in 70 years, but he'll protect you all the way. Trust, trust in that. So God promises to protect you in life and to work all things out for your good. Romans 8, 28, right? To work all things out for your good. So trust in that. When things happen that you didn't want to happen, when you don't get into the college you want, when you don't get the rewards you want, when you don't get the job you want, when you don't get the, the, uh, the um, boyfriend or girlfriend that you want, um, that's God's goodness for you. He's preventing you for, from something. You know, and, and some of you have been really good sympathizing with my very minor uh, first world, we're first world, right? First world problem of not being able to run since June 10th and, and this lingering injury that I have and just miss as long as I haven't run since I was 37 years old, I'm 55 now. And, uh, but I just, I know God has some purpose in it. He's just having me spend that early morning time in other, other things. And, and it's not like I wasn't reading the Bible before. Now I am. It's just, I'm, I was doing it both, both times, but he has a good purpose in it. And yeah, I lost $91 in a marathon that I couldn't run. <laughs> no refunds for a marathon, you know, on October 22nd. But God has a good purpose. And that $91 was worth it because God's in control. All right. And so whatever happens to you, you get fired or you lose your job or, or you have great tragedy. It's not saying that the tragedy isn't great, um, but, but God is good. Uh, God is working all things out for your good. So trust this and act like it. Act like it. Um, doesn't mean you, you can't mourn. Doesn't mean you can't be disappointed. But know, know in your heart and your mind, this is God working out his good for me. And, and uh, some of those things we figure out seven years from now, some of those things we'll find maybe in eternity if we even care about those things um, when we get there. Um, and then the last little blank for you there, and to bring you to heaven. Here's, that's what God promises for you, to protect you in life, to work all things out for your good, and to bring you to heaven upon death. That's Romans 8, 28, all things will work out for your good. Um, it will protect you, 1 Peter 1, 5. Through faith, you're shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation that is ready to be revealed at the last time. Okay, so believe in this. You're being shielded. And God's working out all things for your good. Or Philippians 1, 23. It's our assurance. When we die, we'll be with the Lord. So Paul said, I may die here in prison, uh, but if so, I'll be with Christ. Or as he said in, in 2 Corinthians 5, um, to be here in the body is to be away from the Lord, but to be away from the body is to be with the Lord. And that's a good thing. And so trust, trust in those things. Um, we're to believe in the things that God has promised in Scripture and those things he's promised. To work all things out for your good, Romans 8, 28. To protect you, 1 Peter 1, 5, until Jesus comes back. And when you do die, that'll bring you to heaven immediately, your soul. So trust in those things as Ahab trusted in the things the prophet shared with him. Um, this, as the New Testament describes it, the Old Testament is the writing of the prophets and the New Testament is the writing of the apostles. These are God's words. Trust them um, like Ahab did. 
You know, Ahab gets it right here, um, amazingly. Uh, but he really does. And God acts and is faithful to his promises. The Arameans and the armies of those other 32 kings, they go, they go running. Um, so I, I, I love the, the language there of, of just the, the power of this. Um, verse 20, and each one, verse 20, and each one struck down his opponent. At that, the Arameans fled with the Israelites in pursuit. Um, so trust, trust in these things. Don't believe that you're going to have a Ferrari. Don't believe that you'll be CEO of your company. Uh, don't believe that you'll go to Yale. Um, any of those things can be, be true, but God has promised you none of those things. But he has promised to protect you, to watch over you in your life, to keep you safe. He has promised to work all things out together for your good. And he's promised to bring your, you to himself, whether in death or his return, whichever comes first, or for most of us, maybe for, in, in both. Um, let's end there. We'll, we'll start up with uh, that number two uh, next week. It's a, that's a decent place to start. I knew when starting, I knew when doing this this week, I said, I said, I don't know where it's going to end, but I'm just going to keep track of time and, and, uh, and, uh, we'll have, we'll have a good, good discussion, uh, good discussion next, next time with this. Um, we can answer part of the summary so you can jump down, jump down to that. Um, we'll do a, um, all that I lost in Adam. All that I lost in Adam, just like Ahab had lost all this stuff already. And all that you're threatened, you've been threatened to lose, like Ahab and the people were threatened to lose everything else they valued. God's protection uh, today and eternal inheritance in the end, that's what we were threatened to, to lose. Christ has gained back for you. Uh, that's the good news for us as believers in Jesus. We'll talk a little bit more about that uh, uh, next week and look at some other things that we learned from Ahab here as well. But uh, with that, let's pray.